Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. On this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, I'm going to introduce you to one of my friends, Jesse Ginsberg. Jesse has been in the Grow Your Private Practice program for about two years. And during that time, her private practice has really, really taken off. And not only has her private practice taken off, but also the educational wing of her business has taken off too. I hope that you'll also appreciate some of the business lessons that Jesse shares in this episode because she has really found a way to grow her private practice to a level where she doesn't have to be in the day-to-day weeds of running the practice. And instead, she can focus on having a bigger impact on her clients and the clients that her private practice serves, but also on SLPs who are working with children with autism because she's also started selling her own online programs and courses. And so that's another wonderful revenue stream for herself as a private practice owner. Without further ado, here's Jessie. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other, because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right, so before we dive in, can you share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Of course. My name is Jesse Ginsberg, and I am in Los Angeles, California, and my practice is called Pediatric Therapy Playhouse. So Jesse, we have gotten to know each other over the last like year and a half or so in the Grow Your Private Practice program, which has been so much fun to literally watch you grow a ton over that period of time. And I feel like you still have tons more growth to have, but let's go back to the very beginning. Can you tell the listeners about what your early life and career as a speech pathologist was like? Yeah, so it's interesting because, well, probably like a lot of people, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated college. So I had a this degree in communicative disorders, and I had my SLP assistant license. So I thought, I'll just test out the field, see if I like it. But I was almost positive I was going to go into something else. So I interviewed at this clinic in LA, this multidisciplinary clinic. And I accepted the job on the spot and they told me, okay, well, you're going to be doing speech therapy, but you're also going to be a floor time therapist. And I said, okay, great. And then I went to the car and I had to Google, what is floor time therapy? <laughs> Never heard of it before. And it's just so funny how the world works because I mean, that has, that one decision has been the biggest thing that has shaped my career and where I am now. So I worked in that clinic. They trained me in floor time. I was trained by this woman who was a mentee of Dr. Greenspan, who created floor time. And then I went back to grad school. And the other funny thing is I almost actively avoided only working with kids with autism, which now, of course, is my specialty. But I was deciding between two clinical fellowships on the East Coast. One was at the floor time center which is run by Jake Greenspan, who's Stanley Greenspan's son. And then the other was just a private practice where they saw a little bit of everything. 
And I didn't want to narrow my focus at that point. So I decided to work at the clinic, which did everything. And it's just funny because it was, I couldn't get away from it. So I ended up becoming close with Jake Greenspan and we started presenting together and training SLPs and how to see kids with autism in speech sessions, but more from a floor time perspective. And I mean, that is really what has gotten me to where I am today in terms of specializing in autism. Well, like you said, how funny that it was just like an offhanded, not an offhanded comment, but just sort of like, oh, here's what, here's what we do here, right? That we do floor time at the private practice that you had interviewed at. And you're like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) And then it's become such a huge part of your life, right? From like a random thing to like your main concentration. I know. It's like I had no say over it and it just came. But thank goodness. Yeah, I feel like maybe I I probably haven't shared this a lot that I started my private practice immediately after my CF. Do you know that about me? I I don't, but I did the same. And I think that's one of those things that people are like, wait, what? Like, I thought you had to wait until 15, 20 years in your career. So how did you decide to do that? I felt like it was time. I was moving back to LA. I I didn't want to start working at another clinic only to have to open my own clinic and start competing. And I had this idea and I just was so ready. I knew I wanted to do it. So what I decided to do is start calling my professors because I was really close with them, my grad school professors, and run that idea by them. And one by one, they told me how out of my mind I was. <laughs> I mean, I even had someone tell me that she felt like it was disrespectful to our profession because you need to put in your years before you start a practice. So I guess that's probably one of the reasons I get so nervous to tell people that. So that was right after my CF and the clinic, probably around the time this airs, we're going to be hitting our seventh year anniversary and we're now a team of 10. I love it. And probably the person who gave you that advice to to do their do your time or whatever is still doing her time waiting for something else in her career. I know. It's funny because I think that's one of the scary things about private practices. You get so worried about the competition. And I just feel like if everyone had this abundant mindset and realized there are so many people that need help and we don't have to compete against each other and Funny enough, that person will call me and ask me for advice now. Interesting. See, I told you. Great. It's one of those things where if you're willing to kind of get out there and be a little bit uncomfortable, then that's that's where you start to grow. And the people who stay uncomfortable, like, don't grow. So good for you for taking maybe a piece or two of their advice, but then kind of ignoring the rest and knowing that you are ready, knowing that you had this growing expertise around the floor time model. And that you wanted to bring that to LA and build a business with it. So what did yeah. what did your private practice look like in that first year that you were getting started? So I knew that I wanted a brick and mortar practice. What I did was I found the absolute cheapest office space I possibly could find, which was insanely cheap for LA because it was a waiting room and two treatment rooms. And I, I don't know, I probably like many of other people thought I'll open my doors and then they'll come. <laughs> yep. that will, if if so, you build it, they will come from the field of dreams, right? It doesn't always yeah. work out that way. So I had one family private pay find me through the Hannon website because I was trained in It Takes You to Talk. And I had them coming in twice a week. and. No kidding, that paid my office rent for the first maybe four months while I was really trying to get established. So in the first year, I was just really trying to secure insurance contracts, which which took way longer. I mean, it must have taken me around nine months to a year and trying to get the early intervention, state funded agency, vendorization took forever also. So it was just a lot longer and a lot more paperwork, I think, than I'd anticipated. But I think it was after about the first year was when I hired my first therapist. 
And maybe around that time, I think it was, I mean, I was working a lot. I was treating clients from around 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. and days till four. And then I would go home and I would do paperwork until midnight. I did that for probably two full years, that schedule. Going back to what your professor said about like having to put in the hard work, right? You did put on the hard work just in a different way, right? That you were really like hustling to build, build your business, build your clientele, get those insurance contracts, and then start to thinking about building to the place that you were then ready to hire that first person around the, the first year mark, which, which is fantastic. So what happened so, next? So after, I couldn't even tell you, maybe it was about three years in that space. I had a couple of therapists. So I had someone full time and then I had someone on the weekends and me. And then I was ready to hire my next therapist. And it just so happened that the architect next door decided that they were going to be moving out of the building. So I took over that lease and we broke down the wall. And then I had, I think maybe it was six treatment rooms total after we did that. And then that lasted us through about five years total, the first five years. And then during that time, you had how many, so you had six treatment rooms. How many people then did you have working for you? And were you still doing mostly like early intervention kinds of ages and whatnot? For a while, I was hiring about one person a year, I would say. And then I started hiring two a year. But in that time, yeah, we were doing a lot of early intervention, preschool, aged kids, school age. We were doing a little bit of everything. I would say 80% of our kids have always been under 10, maybe yeah. even younger than that. Yeah. But I think when things really changed, it's just been in the last couple of years, which is also when we moved into this new office space and our old office space. I mean, we always joked about it, our team. We called it a dungeon. We had almost no light. Just everything was breaking. We didn't have maintenance. The bathrooms were courtyard bathrooms. They would flood when it rained. I mean, it was really coming apart, that building. So we moved into this building, which just to compare, I mean, it is on the corner of this gorgeous building. So we have windows wrapping the entire clinic. We have 10 treatment rooms. We have our own kitchen. We have a engineer for the building, security guard for the building, everything. Someone that comes and cleans and takes out our trash every night. So the difference is just huge. And I feel like it really changed morale of the team because I feel like we were just so sick of being in the old office. And then we got here and it was, it was so exciting. I remember when you moved. Because I remember that you were nervous about then having enough clients and filling the space, right? That you had employees that needed people on their caseload. You had this new space. And I remember at the time you were very excited, but there was also like a little bit of pressure to to fill the space. What's I mean, happened since then? <laughs> so we've honestly, and you know this about me because you know I like to read and do all of those things and business coaching and all of the above. But I think that honestly, it's just I've invested so much more in myself. And I think that has affected the clinic in so many ways. One of, I think the greatest things I learned was I read this book called Leadership. And it resonated with me so much. It was such a great book. But it's this idea of I want to have happy team members. I want these therapists to be happy to be here. And I don't want them to be. And if they're ever and I tell them this, if they ever want to go out and do something else, I want that for them. I want them to be following their passion. I want them to be doing what they want. If they want to start a private practice, I will support them in doing that, which actually one of my therapists just had a baby and moved and started her own practice. She just took one of your courses. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm like, we'll talk to her and answer questions for her and help her. And that's the point is you have to have a happy team because if your team is happy, your clients are going to be happy. 
So I think your job as the business owner is to keep your team happy. And the only way you could do that is by really supporting them and doing the things that they want to do. So something we've been doing, which you'll be proud of this because I know you're very into niching down, but I've just been really trying to encourage each therapist to hone more in on their specialty area. And everyone has something in this office that they're amazing at. So I would just love to, I'm trying to get them to get even more of those types of clients. Well, and that's a great, great for you too, because you have a bigger practice. So you can have different individuals who work with you with different niches, but you're still able to serve a wide variety of clients. It's just that one, one clinician, like maybe she does more of the fluency and another person does more apraxia or whatever. So I think that's great because then you have the best of both worlds. You have the uh, general, maybe more of a generalist private practice, but then within it, you have all of these different niches. And I can't even tell you how good it feels when I talk to a new parent on the phone and they say, oh, my son is stuttering. I get to say, I would love for you to see our fluency specialist. It feels so good for me not to say in my head, oh my God, am I really going to do another stuttering evaluation? I think this story... Have you read Radical Candor? Yeah. It's right there. On my, uh, no. I feel like the story is in that book. I'm not positive, but it tells the story of Steve Jobs and he hires someone and the guy he hires comes in and says, okay, here's a problem we're having. What do you want to do about it? And Steve Jobs says, I don't know. That's why I hired you or something to that effect. That's how I feel, honestly, because I am 100% certain that my therapists are better at me than what they... In, their specialty areas. And it just feels so good to have such confidence in, in them. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jesse is an avid reader and she's always posting on Instagram or on wherever else, different books that she's read, which while, while we're on the topic, what is your Instagram so that people can follow you? It is jessieginsberg.slp. Fabulous. Go follow Jesse because not only will you get business books, and recommendations, you'll see adorable pictures of her kids who are about the same age as my kids and learn stuff about kids with autism and, and private practice and everything else. I know. I try to, it's hard because, well, I think it's, it's hard because so many people just want you to see what is perfect in their life. And honestly, I almost had to give up social media because it was too much for me all these smiling kids and all these happy families. And I'm thinking, okay, I know it took you 20 minutes of crying to get that picture. So that's all I want on my Instagram is to keep it real. 20 minutes of crying, or I think on my phone, I have, I'm not even kidding you, like 64,000 pictures, which people are like, is that even possible? It is. And people are like, you take such great pictures of your kids. I'm like, I do, but, but I also take a lot of pictures of them which now they don't really uh, appreciate quite as much. One of the things that I really like that you that you did lately, and again, I, I know you um, a little bit more um, in depth, but you you and your team went through like your core values for your company and you came up with like a, a different tagline for your company, everything. Would you mind sharing what that process was like? Yeah, I do feel like that was really transformative for us. And... Basically, we had this team meeting where we sat down and we just listed out on these huge oversized post-its, what do you think our values are of our company and what do we stand for? So everyone was just a free-for-all, you know, everyone got to give their own ideas. And from there, we developed a purpose statement. So from the values list, we kind of picked what our top ones were. And then we developed a purpose statement. So the purpose statement that we came up with was improving lives through meaningful connection. And once we got that, I kind of felt just this moment of clarity because for us, and you know, me and all of my work with autism, I am all about working on engagement and intrinsic motivation to communicate and building relationships. And It was so great for me to see that we were all on the same page and that building meaningful connections was at the core of everything that we wanted to do. So it's if you start thinking, well, when a family walks in the door, what is our purpose of them being here? It's to improve their life through meaningful connections. And that means that the best thing that we can do is work so hard to connect with the client, 
connect with a parent. We know how, how important that is. But you know, tell our therapists here, parents, all they want is for you to love their kid. And I think SLPs, we like to talk. We're talkers. And it's so easy for us to go into a session and just talk, tech talk. But the more we can just focus on the kid, the more the family's going to love us, the deeper relationship we're going to build with the child, and the, the more the child's going to improve. Totally. But um, yeah, so I could share what our core values were or some yeah, of them. Yeah, please do. That I kind of turned this into this later. But along those lines, one of them is we choose our family. So we want to become part of your family. We invite you to become part of ours. So really that concept of we don't have to be blood to be family. We can choose our family. Another one is, which is important. We'll go to bat for you, but we need you in the game. That's great. And that is maybe one of the biggest struggles we've had is parents not practicing their homework or their attendance not being great. And so we're still working on it, but we're going to be integrating these core values more into our intake process so that parents really know what they can expect. Well, I think that that's really important to get that, that responsibility clear from the beginning right? Because you want to also be attracting the right types of clients for your practice. And so by leading with that expectation, if you have people who are like, well, I'm like a little wishy-washy on this or like, yeah, I don't always really show up for therapy. So maybe this isn't right for me, right? You are going to start to attract the kinds of families that will make great progress through meaningful connections because they'll be there to make those connections versus not present or not engaged or not usually it's not that it's not that they're not willing but you know just distracted or got other stuff going on so I I think that's great for your employees too we also had to filter out (laughs) who the families were that maybe we didn't want to work with anymore and that was one of the best things we have ever done and I would recommend this to anyone and this came straight from the book the pumpkin plan And so this is something we did at the end of last year as we did this other team meeting where I asked them, if you were on a desert island and you were stuck there with any of your families, who would you want to be stuck with? So who are your favorite clients and families and and why? And then who are your least favorite families? And I had no idea what they would say and why are they your least favorite? And it was so funny because the families and who are least favorite were not the kids with the behaviors and were they were not the hard kids they were the parents who were defensive or the parents who didn't trust us or the parents who were inconsistent with their attendance or didn't see the value in what we were doing so it was funny how it all came down to that and what was even funnier is as they were saying these names of these are the clients we don't enjoy working with i was thinking those are the families who don't pay. It was exactly the list of parents with bills that were overdue. And I would have never made that connection if we didn't have that meeting. So So from a business perspective, also not good to have these families sticking around. Yeah. And that's not even what I intended to do with that information. But what we ended up doing was we told families, if you want to continue therapy next year, your balance has to be paid no exceptions because I have been one to make plenty of exceptions. And all of those families, every single one of them dropped off. And we basically just started fresh. We started 2020 with a new policy where every single family is on auto pay. We can charge their card at any time, which we'd never had permission to do before. So it was a huge undertaking to get new signatures and new everything. We have about 250 kids a week here. So it was a lot of families, but best thing we ever did. Well, and it's good to make those kind of things just to make things easier for you, make things easier for them. Like sometimes families mean to pay the bill, but it gets stuck somewhere or whatever. So just to, I also am a fan of auto pay. Let's just get it on auto pay. Oh, so yeah. You were really at this really good, good spot, right? You had your, your core values, you had your new purpose statement. You had a fresh batch or a, a letting go of some of the the people who were no longer serving you or whatever. 
And then coronavirus happened. So how how did y'all navigate that situation, which we're kind of we're still in at the time of this recording? Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm I hate to say it, but now since I'm in LA, I think we'll probably still be in a similar place when this airs. So we freaked out like everyone. We did, but we basically shut down for a week and then we opened doing teletherapy only. But I was just, I felt like we didn't have any direction. We didn't know if we were supposed to stay open or close. We kind of fell in this middle of, I didn't know at the time that we were essential workers because it was so hard to find the information we needed. So what I ended up doing actually was I started calling all of the big clinics in LA and I'd never even reached out to all of them before. Some of them maybe. And I put all of these clinics, probably 20 to 30 clinics on one big email so we could talk about what are we going to do? And it was, I think, like a Thursday, I want to say. And I emailed everyone the next day. And I said, just so you know, all the clinics on this list, we're all planning to stay open. And then one day later, I changed my mind and I wrote to them and I said, I'm really not one to take a stand, which is true. Historically, I'm really not one to take a stand. I said, but I really feel like families are, they trust us and we're healthcare workers for them. And if their pediatricians told them do this, they would listen. And if we tell them, come in here, it's safe, they're going to listen too. And I just feel like we need to support our communities and switch over to teletherapy. So we did. And it hasn't been easy, but we're chugging it along. Yeah. We have about 80-ish percent of our clients that have continued over teletherapy. Fabulous. I love that. Something else that you did that which it showed a lot of leadership at the very beginning of all of this, I really found you doing like a lot of Facebook lives and a lot of trying to give education to clinicians who are also navigating doing telepractice with kids with autism and so could you would you mind sharing a little bit about how you stepped into that type of a leadership role? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. It was just one of those ideas. I don't know if this ever happens to you where you just come up with an idea and then you think it's like a you just think you're just going to go with it. And then the next day you think, what was I doing? And I'd already committed. So I, it was like right when coronavirus hit and everyone was shutting down and doing teletherapy. So I think I posted in a couple of Facebook groups. If I did a Facebook Live tomorrow about teletherapy for kids on the spectrum who need a higher level of support, would you come? And it was like within a few hours or something that over a thousand people had commented, yes. And then I was like, oh my God, I better start writing. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And I didn't say next week. I said, tomorrow, (laughs) I better wash my hair. So. It was just, it was very validating because I had so many people log in. I was not anticipating that. And it's gotten a lot of views. And everyone was just so grateful for all the resources that I was sharing. But I just knew that what are we going to do with these kids on the spectrum? We're not doing direct teletherapy with them. We need a plan. And one of the things that, as you know, I, teach therapists how to work with kids with autism. So I have so many resources to give away. Well, I think it was really, really valuable. And I think the big argument against telepractice for a long time was, but it won't work for my client, right? There was always certain certain types of populations that we always knew that telepractice was great for, um, like accent modification or transgender voice or that kind of thing, but our, you know, articulation, fluency... But then when it came to like autism, people are like, well, that, that won't work for my clients. So I think it was really great that you stepped in and, and took people's biggest fear and one of the most vulnerable populations that we serve and figured out how to give those tips and advice so that clinicians could start doing their telepractice sections like the next day with some idea of what they should be doing. Thanks. Yeah, it was exciting to share resources and stuff like that, because I'm such a firm believer in what I teach. So it's nice to be able to spread the message. Well, and it was funny, I shared this with with Jesse privately, but during that time, so my wife does early intervention, she's a physical therapist. 
And I came out of my office and saw her on the couch watching Jesse's Facebook live. And I was like, <laughs> I know I she's I know her. And she's like, Oh, you do? She's giving such good <laughs> advice. I was like, Yeah, she's in my program. She's great. <laughs> and so, That's so, so funny, tonight, I had Yeah, I had like people who had texted I have a therapist who's from the East Coast. Her friends sent out group text. Oh, you have to see this video of this person, Jesse Ginsburg, who did this Facebook Live. And she's like, that's my boss. I know. It's so funny. And then even tonight when I was preparing to for this recording, I was like, oh, hey, Sarah, remember that woman that you were watching her video? Oh, yeah. I was like, she's, she's my guest tonight. She's like, oh, that's so great. So it's funny how when you put yourself out there, and especially when you come from a place of service and you're excited to to share information and resources with people, like the people who need to see those things will find you. I'm a big believer in that the people who need support will find it from the right people. And so good for you for continuing to not only build this practice, but also build this other sort of wing of your practice, which is an education-based model. And I know also before all this happened, you had some public speaking engagements that were also pretty cool. So tell the listeners about that. Yeah, I think it all basically this kind of second business really started when I wrote an article for ASHA. It was for their Autism Awareness Month issue. What year? Last year, 2019. And I wrote this analogy that I use when I explain working with kids with autism to parents. And it's a staircase analogy about how we need to work on regulation and engagement in order to really have kids develop novel, flexible language and how important it is to work on intrinsic motivation to communicate. So it was all of these ideas that I had taken from years of floor time and moved into how I use them in speech. And I got such a response from that article. And I was so shocked. And I just realized that there was this huge need. And it's funny, because here I was in my own practice, creating my own checklist and my own assessments. I have a pretend play scale that I made just for myself. I hadn't even really necessarily shared it with everyone on my team yet. And I realized everyone needs this, because I love floor time. And I love the the philosophy behind it. And all I needed was, well, what do I do with this knowledge? Where do I start? What kind of assessments do I need? And then basically what happened is I did a brain dump where I wrote down everything I knew about autism and everything I learned about autism. And that's kind of aha moment I had was that when we are trained to work with kids with autism, we are taught to work on two things, language and social skills. But there is so much more that we have to do to have kids with autism be successful than just work on language and social skills. So that's how I came up with these six core assessment and treatment areas. And that's what I started teaching in my online course, which is called ASD from the inside out. But I've got those core assessment and treatment areas on my website and, and everything. Which is, which is what address can people go to learn more about that? ASDfromtheinsideout.com. Fabulous. So one of the things that Jesse, I really like about your story is that as you've grown, you've also increased your impact, Right. So you've started from one therapist a year, hiring one therapist a year to then hiring two therapists a year, growing like your client base, right? To see more and more clients growing your space. But now that you've also added this education wing to your company too, you're now able to serve more clinicians who will then go out and serve more clients. So... I think that that's a really great model that we should all be striving for is how can we grow at both the community level and also the national or international level because we have so much value and so much information to share, but you do have to put yourself out there. And sometimes that saying, hey, I'm going on Facebook Live tomorrow. Is anyone interested in this information? Yeah, there is. I mean, and I think I think you've talked about this on a prior episode, but it's this idea of if you are scared of something, all that means is you should be moving toward it. 
And I heard that at the exact right time. And I had posted in our group about this when I had been offered this speaking engagement. It was six hours and 200 SLPs. And I almost had a heart attack when I read that. And then I heard on a podcast, I heard someone say, you know what, if you fear is a GPS, it means you should move toward whatever it is you're scared of. And I thought, well, there's nothing I'm more terrified of than this. So here we go. (laughs) So sign me up. Let's do it. So what do you see in the next year or so? And I know we're in kind of a funny period right now, but what are you kind of hoping happens like through the end of 2020 and like into 2021? So my big goal this year, which I've been working toward very hard, is getting my clinic to run smoothly without me having to make day-to-day decisions. Because what happened last year is I went to this conference and then I was getting texts and emails and phone calls the whole time. And I thought, wow, I can't even leave because someone needs to be there to answer these questions. So I made some changes to our org structure. And I moved someone else into our clinic director role, which is me. And right now it's me and every single person on the team reports to me. That is too many people. So I have a clinic director now. And then I have a speech and language department supervisor. So all the SLPs are going to her. She is going to the clinic director, the OT is going to clinic director, and then we have admin. And then when we hired an administrative assistant, I told our office admin, I don't want to have to delegate or do any of that. This is all you. You decide what she does. I'll give you the assignments. You can decide what she does. So right now we're in this really, really big transition because we haven't fully done that yet. And we were supposed to. Except, thank you, coronavirus, we have not gotten the opportunity. We kind of had to put it on the back burner. But as we come back into the office, that will be our new org structure. So I just want to be able to work more on, which I am doing now, but building systems and developing the business and doing more of the big picture thinking than having to do the day-to-day. Yeah. You mentioned the book, The Pumpkin Plan, earlier by Mike Michalowicz. So he wrote another book, which you probably, I'm sure you've read because you've read, read all of the books too, called Clockwork, right? And so yeah. in, in Clockwork, that's really what they talk about is being able to step away from your business for an entire month and have the systems in place. So a month might be a lot, but no matter what, you have this this now dedicated clinic director who will be helping put out all of those other fires so that you don't have to be doing that, right? So I think that the idea of working on systems and working on having things be, whether they're just simplified or having standard operating procedures, like that's how you're going to continue to grow and have all of the people who are working with you, like knowing what they can and should be doing and who to go for for the support so that you don't have endless emails and phone calls and stuff like that. And you can be free to be making bigger decisions or to be doing some of these like things that will create the bigger impact that you're also looking to do. Definitely. It's so easy for that stuff to get lost in the day-to-day shuffle. And then you realize, well, the business isn't going to really be successful or organized if you don't dedicate time to doing that stuff. But that just you saying that makes me think of a lesson I realized recently that I learned. And I think I posted this on Instagram because I'm really into quotes. But it was, you have to accept the blame for a problem if you want to solve it. And I think what you see so much is it's so easy to point fingers at people in your business if something goes wrong. It's so easy to say, oh, my admin team messed that up or that therapist didn't do that evaluation right. But ultimately, I always take the blame for everything that goes wrong. Because what that means is we've got some things to work out. And that's okay. Even just two days ago, I was just kind of doing an audit of our billing. And I realized that we've been seeing a client two months past when her authorization expired. So instead of saying, being upset with our billing team saying, how could you make this kind of mistake? I just 
talked to them and I said, Hey, what's our, I know we have a method for tracking authorizations. What is it? And what do you think we could, how could we work on this so that it doesn't happen again? Like, because that was a me issue. I gave her too many things to be responsible for. So I think just we have to learn that it doesn't feel good to go blame people and point fingers. It's a lot better to realize that we can fix the problem. Right. Right. And to, and to take that responsibility. And I like what you said too, about when problems occur, it's, it's an opportunity to fix them. Right. And so rather than getting bogged down either in blame or in like negative self-talk, like, you know, I'm, I'm stupid. Why didn't I notice this? Or I don't know that kind of stuff. You're like, okay, well, this is an issue. And how can we solve it? in a way that makes sense for whoever, what person's supposed to be involved in this or what time it's supposed to take or that kind of thing so that we can prevent future problems from happening later. So I really like that too. How can we make a system for it? Yeah. And yes, clockwork is amazing, but you, I do think you have to read pumpkin plan first. Yep. Totally agree. And for other people who, this is the guy who wrote Profit First, which is another book that a lot of times gets quoted in like kind of the small business spaces. All right. So you have kind of your, your plan for the future in terms of when you, when you, when we are be able to, to go back, having this new structure in place also to, to kind of free you up. What else do you want to see from like either yourself or your practice or that kind of thing in terms of? Are you in a good place growth-wise? Do you want to kind of stay this size? Do you want to grow bigger? Do you want to do more with the education? Like, what are you thinking on that front? I've never wanted one of those huge clinics with 30, 40 therapists. That sounds like a lot of work to me. And I love the size our clinic is right now. And we could still grow. We could still fit a couple more therapists in here, but I would love to just have a team of like 10 therapists and everyone is very strong and everyone is specialized and, and just have our referrals be consistent and all of that. And yeah, I mean, I love kind of this idea of going into the thought leadership space. And I just feel so passionately about this message and this phrase I use treating autism from the inside out and getting therapists to start thinking about kids with autism in more of a big picture. Less, I've got to do this structured WH questions game because this kid has to meet this goal. And more about what can I really do today that is going to make a big impact in in this child's life? And what is the big picture going to look like? And a lot of the times that falls into working on a child's motivation and engagement and building relationships and connections. And I think there just needs to be such a stronger focus on that in our therapy. Yeah, I totally agree. So before we wrap up, is there any other things that we haven't mentioned that you want to make sure that you get in there or advice, lessons learned, any of that kind of stuff? I was thinking about this and you'll probably like this and you've probably read You Are a Bad. Can I say it? Yeah, you can say it. You're a badass. and. This is the one part of that book that stuck out to me that I was thinking about that you'd appreciate is it talks about how, and I mean, this, I might be off here, but this is to the effect of this, that the people who run marathons are the people who enjoy putting their tennis shoes on and running and getting their feet on the pavement, regardless of the weather and regardless of if they're feeling tired or not. and The people who are rock stars are the ones who like practicing nonstop in that garage and hitting up all the tiny clubs and and all of that. And the point is that success isn't the ultimate goal. It's not once I am a rock star, I'll be happy. Once I run a marathon, I'll be happy. Once I own a private practice, I'll be happy. The joy is in the climb. The person who enjoys being a private practice owner is going to be the person who enjoys business development and enjoys creating systems and hiring and and doing all of those things that it takes to run a private practice. So I always think about that because you're only going to be happy if you're doing what you love day to day. I mean, every day getting to do things you love. You have to really enjoy, I think, the growth process more than you're seeking the ultimate goal. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that we also need to be open to having that shift sometimes, right? Or recognizing that something that you thought that you really liked doing, maybe you like something else more, right? Or maybe there are certain aspects of of running a practice that you that you like, but maybe you shouldn't be the one to do that, right? Maybe someone else on your team should be doing that so that you can do other things. So yeah, I think that that's really good advice and something that we should all be thinking about. What do we really enjoy doing? And it comes naturally to us and we like doing it and it's necessary and figure out ways to plan your day and plan your schedule around doing that. Like think about how much fun you had, Jesse, with some of the leadership stuff that you were doing with your team and then also helping therapists learn more about kids with autism. Like that clearly lights you up. And so you've now made a way for your business to be running without you to an extent with the clinic director in place and with these other roles so that you can continue to work on that leadership model, which is going to have a bigger impact than you treating a handful of kids in your practice. And if you still want to do that, you can you can clearly do that. But if you're thinking about where are you going to have the most impact and in a way that really lights you up, that's what you should be centering your time around. Definitely. And it feels so good to actually be able to have the time to do that stuff. But I think like I'd also tell other practitioners, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. And I know you are a fan of business coaching. And I mean, I've been doing paid masterminds and business coaching and things like that for years. And I have spent by far the most I've ever spent on those types of things in the last maybe eight months. And It's been the biggest eight months for our clinic. So I just think it comes back around. It's just so worth it to invest in whether it's like a mastermind or an online course you teach or a group. It's just very valuable. Absolutely. Well, speaking of valuable, this was an incredibly valuable episode. I thank you so much for, for sharing your journey from just starting off with private practice right out of the gates after your CF to growing at this really pretty amazing rate in in Los Angeles and getting to a point where you have this clinic that is ready to be sustaining itself while growing your educational component too. And I'll be really excited to see what the next year or two bring for you as all of this starts to come together and you're really able to execute on the plan that you set forth to do. Thank you so much, Jenna. And thank you for having me. And honestly, I mean, you talk about having an impact. And here you are having this huge impact, little ripple effect where you're able to impact so many therapists and push them and show them that they can do it. And look at your community you've built. It's such a testament to you and you can tell you really have a heart for it. Well, we both have hearts for what we do. And that goes back to the message you just said a couple minutes ago, like, let's find ways to make sure that we're in the place that we need to be to, to do what we need to do to really help people right? I love what I do. And I can tell that you love what you do. And I think that's all any of us can ever want in this world. Definitely. Fabulous. Well, great job, Jesse. Thank you so much again for sharing this. Thank you for being here tonight. And one more time, where can people find you on the internet? So I have a lot of videos and trainings on my website, which is asdfromtheinsideout.com. Lots of free downloads. On Facebook, you could see lots of Facebook live videos and trainings. And that is Jesse Ginsburg, speech language pathologist on Facebook. And on Instagram, jessieginsburg.slp is where I've got all my other fun day-to-day stuff. All right. Well, listeners, go check out Jesse. She's doing amazing things. And send her a DM or learn more about her programs. Get some of these fabulous resources that she has. Know that you too can start off you know, with a couple of clients and grow to this really nice size clinic and also diversify your income in terms of educational components too. So you're truly an inspiration, Jesse, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. So if you can't tell, I absolutely adore Jesse. 
I think that what she has done to grow her private practice and then to expand on this educational component, which is going to help serve so many more people, SLPs and all of the kids with autism that she wants to be able to reach that she can't reach with her own private practice is just truly remarkable. I also really like how she's talking about some higher level business things, like how she's going to run her business and create systems to actually have the business run without her because she has the right people in place to make all of that happen. That is a really big thing for business owners to be able to get to that level. But you don't start at that level, right? You start just like Jesse talked about, like maybe right after your CF in the basement, in a small clinic space. And that's really where people get started. And you can grow to whatever level you want to. And you can be like Jesse and, and also be excited about maybe becoming a thought leader in this space. But it all starts with one client. So if you're ready to get your first private client, let me teach you how that whole thing is done. You can head over and watch my free training over at Start Your Private Practice com backslash webinar, and I will walk you through the ins and outs of starting a private practice. And then if it feels right for you, I will offer you a space in my program, also called Start Your Private Practice, and we can go from there. It's been wonderful to watch Jesse grow, and I can't wait to watch you grow too. So head over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar, and let's get you started today. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I wanna help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms in your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I wanna teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.